Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Jerry Jones here, and welcome to another special edition. And today we have a special guest with us. Um, and as always, we're bringing some really incredible folks um, right to your doorstep or to your iPhone or other listening device, however you may be consuming uh, today's uh, edition. Um, with me today, I have Mr. Garrett Gunderson, a best-selling author um, of numerous books, New York Times best-selling author, I might add, not some made-up category on Amazon that somebody put together, <laughs> but a real... <laughs> Genuine New York Times bestseller. Um, Gareth, there's a lot of bullshit out there in today's world. There I mean, is. You know, people can manufacture. At two thirty, at two thirty a.m., I was number one in X Y Z category that I took a screenshot of, and now I'm a bestseller. That, New York that's Times is a little different for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's like real books on a real book list, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Um, with me, I've got Garrett Gunnerson. Garrett, you are you are the founder and, and, and president, I believe, as well of the Wealth Factory, correct? I'm the founder, but uh, not. Yeah, I guess I am. I, I I've had a CEO for a number of years, and last year I kind of took over the CEO title again and, and made that former CEO chairman because uh, we we made some you know pretty big declarations and. I thought that that would be a good switch, but yeah, you're right. I was almost to say no, but then I was like, no, Jerry's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not often that somebody says Jerry's right, but when they do, I get excited. It's, it's rare. <laughs> it's very rare. Well, Garrett, it's a pleasure to be on here with you, and um, you're, in, you're in Salt Lake City, I take it, right now? Yeah, you know, just where you'd expect a financial guy to be is Salt Lake City. Uh, <laughs> this, at one time, Salt Lake was the big city to me because I grew up in such a small coal mining town. And now that I'm here, you know, I love the mountains. We have cabins up here. We have family all around us. But uh, it's funny to think of it as a big city because it is pretty small. But uh, I didn't end up here why most people end up in Utah. I ended up here because of coal mining, of all things. Well, you and I do have something in common. I grew up uh, in a coal town myself, uh, a little town called Centralia, Washington. And my dad worked at the uh, you know coal-fired steam plant, and um, I worked out there as uh, in you know summer of uh, my college years. Um, so you and I have that in common. Uh, I've uh, definitely enhanced nice. my fair share of coal dust. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still around. That's the good news. I'm still here. You know? I'm still here breathing and not doing anything. I have nothing to do with the coal industry. Now, I'm sitting here uh, in the Pacific Ocean today looking out at the beautiful but rough uh, Pacific uh, over on the coast of Oregon, and, and uh, you and I are doing this great call. We've got some awesome information um, I think we're going to dig through today. And um, just a little background on how I met Garrett. We spoke together uh, on the same um, uh, speaking uh, platform, if you will, a few weeks ago down in St. Petersburg with the American Academy of Dental Practice. and. Um, and I listened to Garrett's uh, presentation, and, and it was spot on. It was fantastic, and uh, a lot of folks in the audience there uh, were very excited uh, getting the chance to listen to you, Garrett, so I thought it made all the sense in the world to, that we get together and do this call, um, and, and perhaps uh, you're able to share some of the things you shared with that audience, and now that was about a four- or five-hour deal. This is obviously a lot less time, so we're going to have to move quickly, Garrett, I'm, I'm assuming. All right. I'm up, I'm up right. for it. Okay, cool. So um, 
we're going to start off a little slow, though, even though we're going to we're going to pick the pace. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you came up with the name or the significance of the name of your company, Wealth Factory, because I think that's we got to start at the beginning. So, how, where did Wealth Factory come from? I mean, it's a great name. Um, how how did you come up with that, and what does it mean to you and to your your clients and the folks that work with you? So, two previous names. The first one was Ingenuity, but we spelled it with an E. And the way that company was started was there were three other gentlemen, Ray, Les, and Michael, that we started a study group. And we just we made this commitment that we were going to go somewhere every single month to learn more. Because we were, you know, those guys were still in their late 20s. I was, in my, I was a baby. I was in my early 20s when we got together. And ingenuity, we just thought ingenuity is the solution to a lot of, you know, when people think there's scarce resources, it's human ingenuity, it's human innovation that gets past it. So we wanted to de- design a way to engineer wealth was our kind of initial objective. And Les was probably the most intellectual of all of us and also probably the most ballsy. He would just ask any question to anywhere, anytime, like in front of 500 people, someone's presenting, he walks up to the mic and we, we just went on this journey. And then in 2006, uh, two of the, the three guys died in a plane crash. Um, we owned a, a company plane, and they were coming back from an event that they were doing in southern Utah and crashed into Utah Lake. And the name Ingenuity, I kept for a little while, but I realized it was kind of a previous chapter, and I'd been building a program called Freedom Fast Track. That was the name of this flagship program I'd been putting in work for a couple of years, and we launched it January 1st of 2007. And I decided that to move to the next chapter, I would let go of Ingenuity and embrace Freedom Fast Track and name the company Freedom Fast Track. Now let's fast forward to 2014. We're a company that we, we came up with this concept and really a vision to have 1 million entrepreneurs to economic independence. And in order to do that, I ended up acquiring a firm. And the firm had sold 50,000 financial education programs online. And we've just really been a one-on-one organization, but I wanted to extend my reach and in order to really make an, an impact. And when we did that, we actually called it Wealth Factory. Wealth, obviously, because we're in, you know, helping people build wealth. And we saw wealth as a five-track world. That financial wealth is part of it, but also mental wealth. Like if people are in scarcity, they don't enjoy their money anyway. Physical wealth, meaning if they're, you know, if they're healthy, they get to live and, and actually have the energy. Social wealth, which is just enjoying life along the way and, and living wealthy and having great relationships. And even what we would call sole purpose wealth, which is kind of living a life that's aligned, that's congruent. And so wealth to us is different than being rich. You could have a lot of money and, and be pretty unhappy, or you could have a lot of money and be kind of a miserable person or not truly wealthy. True, true wealth came in those five tracks. And then factory, our building that we've been in for the last five years used to be a hardware factory, like building hardware. And so when you look at it, it is so cool. It's got these old beams, killer bricks. And so we're like, we're in the business of wealth. We've got this factory showing people how to achieve economic independence. And even though I came up with Freedom Fast Track and Ingenuity as a name, I got to admit, it was one of the guys when we bought the firm that said we should call our organization Wealth Factory. And I was smart enough to go, I like that. That's a good representation of who we are because we do it in a predictable fashion. There is a specific process, but the good news is people get to build their own prototype. We don't say what wealth looks like exactly or what they want life to be like. We help them figure that out and get clarity, then build their finances to support it. Most people just say, do these financial transactions and it should help. We, want, we look at the individual as the greatest asset and that personal finance needs to be personal. 
Um, I love I love your the concept. Um, I love the name. I, I, lo- I love the story where it comes from. I think that's um, there's a lot of there are a number of lessons in that story. And um, uh, the idea that you're not just layering a blueprint across everybody. This is our standardized blueprint. You have to fit inside the mold. Uh, that's one of the things I enjoyed listening to you talk about is you and I, 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 I feel like I think the same way you do about a lot of the things that, that were discussed at, at, at the, uh, the event that I, I heard you speak at. And um, I think that's kind of one of the, you know, you hear dog whistle language that attracts you to people and what they're saying. You know, you agree with what they say based, you know, and, um, based on your own beliefs. And you either, you know, you either uh, want to be around those kind of people or you don't, you're repelled by them. And so in, in this case, mm-hmm. your message uh, really resonated. So, um, let's dive in. I, I've got some questions I'd want to, I want to pick your brain about that I think are going to be really valuable for our listeners. And I think we ought to start um, perhaps with, um, with I think, dentists' biggest struggle, which is cash flow. Um, what is cash flow? And after you answer that question, um, can you share three specific ways dentists can increase their cash flow? I love that. We're definitely discussing that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do that for sure. So let's begin with the world of finance. They don't really focus on cash flow. The world of finance focuses on net worth. Net worth is born of the balance sheet. Our balance sheet, if people were to draw a box and then just draw a, a line to make a left and right hemisphere, so basically a vertical line, on the left side you'd have assets, on the right side you'd have liabilities. That's your balance sheet. And traditional retirement planning, accumulation-based planning is let's help you build enough net worth so that one day, someday, you could have a big enough nest egg and that would kick off interest that you could live on. The problem with that is it neglects the consideration of cash flow because it doesn't attach to the income statement. So the balance sheet is there to let us know which direction we're headed in. You know, Are we building more equity? Are we building more debt? Which kind of a side note here that's really important. When we have more liabilities than assets, that's actually debt. Unfortunately, most of the population thinks any time you borrow money that that's debt. That's not true. When you borrow, that's a loan. That loan can actually be accessing equity if you could buy a dental practice for two hundred grand that you know is worth five hundred grand with what you could do with it. Did you really go into debt, or did you actually build more net worth and create equity? So that's. That's one piece. And a lot of people have stagnant, lazy assets. Lazy assets are assets that sit on the balance sheet but don't relate to the income statement. Now, the income statement is what cash flow is about. It's our, if, we draw same, if we draw another box, but now we draw a horizontal line and now we have a northern and southern hemisphere, the northern is the income. The southern is the expenses. And when we have more expenses than we have income, we call that a loss. When we have more income than expenses, we call that a profit or cash flow. More income than expenses is cash flow because the income statement is measuring something on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis, so cash flow has something to do that's recurring. Cash in a, in a bank account you know, or cash under, the, under a mattress, that shows up on the balance sheet, but it doesn't necessarily relate to the income statement. And part of the reason that so many business owners, especially dentists, are in cash flow trouble is, first of all, they spend optimism. They have a good month, <laughs> and it's like, we might as well go get that boat. We might as yeah. well go finance this stuff, because next month's going to be even better. But then insurance changes, or 
the cosmetic cases go down or less people are doing implants because of whatever reason, you know, or you lose an employee or find out there's embezzlement. There's so many things that can be happening that are invisible in that month that people tend to spend optimism. So that's, that's one piece of it. The second thing is because we've been trained so much to accumulate net worth, many times people neglect cash flow. And to me, let's begin with cash flow. And, and I'll say something that might be a little revolutionary to some people, but we can explain it later on. I don't really try to build net worth. I buy net worth. I build cash flow. Most people are taught to build net worth and then eventually turn it into cash flow, but that cash flow doesn't come in until so-called retirement, which means they weren't training and prepared for when it was time to turn that on. So cash flow is simply more income than expenses, and it's something that comes in regularly. Cash is something that just sits there, and it's more stagnant. I think of cash flow like the Amazon River. There's so much life around that thing. It's so lush, and it's so powerful that even the ocean has miles of fresh water where the Amazon enters it. So I think of net worth like I think of the Great Salt Lake. It's so stinky and dead sometimes. I think there's one living organism in it, right? Like, and if we're focusing on the wrong things, like, like net worth, that actually hurts cash flow. You mentioned lazy assets. Um, give me yeah. some examples of lazy assets that you – so I, I know you've worked personally with a number of, of dentists, and I, and I don't know how yeah. many hundreds have gone through your firm, but I know there have been a lot. Um, um, so you've seen real uh, balance sheets with, uh, with real lazy assets that dentists manage to accumulate and keep. What are some of those kinds of things? All right, let's just start with the one that will uh, might make people feel slightly uncomfortable, but – their retirement plan, profit sharing, um, any type of pension, 401k, 403b, well, that's not going to have a 403b, but Keogh, Simple, SEP, all those retirement plans where you're putting money in, you're locking it away till 59 and a half, and even those dentists listening that are over 59 and a half, they probably don't want to take money from the plan because now they have to pay taxes, and even though they were told they were going to be in a lower tax bracket, are likely to be in a higher tax bracket simply because of more success, inflation, and if they've sold their practice, loss of tax deductions. So how does that actually benefit them if it's just net worth? It only benefits us if it can relate to the income statement. And if you hated paying taxes in the past, you probably hate paying them even more today. And so people let that sit there in a lazy way. It's not relating to cash flow. And that is one of the most, that's one of the biggest culprits and it's a lot because of the deferral of tax, not being true savings of tax, or having no exit strategy, or not finding a way to turn that into cash flow that really harms a lot of dentists. And so that's probably the, the grand sacred cow is the 401k. Gotcha. Um, and, and there are ways to take those, those assets, those lazy assets, and uh, and move them to more productive assets. Um, that's probably oh, you a, bet. a more advanced, um, uh, maybe a more advanced <laughs> uh, call or, or audio we could do. But um, when it comes when it comes back to increasing cash flow, I, I look at it like this. I've got a friend of mine who's retired, and every month he knows he's getting a certain amount of money each month coming from his retirement plan. And um, his retirement plan, he can't actually go and cash in. It's just he has cash flow. So he agreed to when he, you know, when he started working for this employer years ago, he agreed to a cash payout over a period of time when he retired, and it turns out very smart choice for him. It grew at you know five and a half or six percent his his entire career, and and now he's sitting there on a you know a, a six figure plus annual um, retirement income. Um, how does a dentist get to that point where 
they have um, they have that kind of, and again I might be pushing this one in a little closer on the questions than, than I had it designed originally but how does a dentist get to that point where where they can look at their assets and go okay well based on this you know I'm gonna this is the kind of cash flow I'm gonna derive from these investments over time I mean is it is it just savings or is it is it or are there other ways that the dentist can get to that point where there is is adequate cash flow um, like this gentleman right. has that I know. Let me give a completely, let me answer that in a completely different way than most people are going to expect, but I think you, you'll know where I'm going. If people think about just scrimping and saving and budgeting and filtering money into an investment so that one day they can kick off interest to live on, that's a pretty risky proposition because taxes can change that, market performance can change that, fees can make that a little bit more difficult over time inflation can make it a moving target that's extraordinarily difficult to keep up with. Losses in the market could mean that it's hard to recover from that because you lose the time value of money. I mean, there's a number of factors. So here's the alternative. Number one, keep more of every dollar you make. How do you do that? Number one, save on tax. 93% of dentists overpay on taxes because they're either not proactive with their team they don't know how to reclassify their income, so they pay a lower tax rate on every dollar that comes in, or they don't know how to turn expenses into the right tax deductions to truly give them savings, which is everything from paying your kids to renting out your home 14 days through the Augusta rule to something called cost segregation if you own a building to, um, I mean, the list goes on, setting up your own insurance agency in a C-Corp, you know, to differentiating your income. Like, we could go back and, and talk about what I mean by all those, but there's, you know, so much tax that's overpaid. Another thing is there's a lot of hidden fees and commissions with investments. That's creating drag on their money, and that's substantial drag because if someone gets 10% over 30 years on 100 grand, it turns to 1.74 million. If they get 9.15%, it's 1.4 million. That's a $340,000 difference because of a less than 1% fee. So imagine when you find most retirement plans have legal fees, admin fees, 12B1 fees, which are marketing fees, expense ratios, you know, and the list goes on. That could be just confiscating their wealth month by month, year by year, and that money could go back and reclaimed into their life. Or duplicate coverages and costs with insurance. I mean, there's a lot of unnecessary, inconsequential insurance that can be dropped. There's restructuring of insurance without even changing company that can put more money in their pocket. And a big one is what we call cash flow optimization. But even if someone has more than one loan, 80% chance they're paying a higher interest rate than they need to because they either don't have the right cash flow reporting, the right collateral, the right credit score, or the right connections to get the very best interest rates. And there's so much opportunity just in those, I call them the four I's, the IRS, interest, investments, and insurance to keep more of what you make. So that's the first thing is boost your profits, keep more of what you make. The second thing is strategically engineer wealth. The way that you do that is automate your savings and stop automating investing. Before you automatically invest for another month, stop those contributions and start building a liquidity account because the people that got really wealthy in this world didn't do it because they started investing early, often, and always, meaning they invested whether it went up <laughs> or down. <laughs> you know, they, they pounced. They, they, found, they built cash. And when the market went down in real estate, McDonald's pounced and bought a ton of real estate. Or when the market went down for Ted Turner, he bought TV stations. He bought radio stations. He bought the Atlanta Braves. He bought bunches of lands in Montana and everywhere else. But he sat in cash until the opportunity was ripe. Everybody's being taught that we always should be invested. That is a bad idea. We should be sitting on the sidelines until it's proper. 
and we should only invest in things that we know. So part of strategically engineering wealth is reverse engineering and saying, do I have my foundation solid? Have I transferred my risk? Do I have the right corporate structure? Do I have the right asset protection? Do I have the right insurances to transfer risk? Do I have enough liquidity to handle things when they come up? And am I only investing in things that I really know and understand? And most importantly, am I only investing in anything that's either going to provide cash flow or pay off in the next 12 months? And once you create economic independence, which is that state where enough investment income comes in to cover your expenses, then you can go speculate with your money. But people that erroneously speculate with their money before they're prepared set themselves back over and over again. Now, the third thing is you take all those lazy assets we mentioned and you turn them into cash flowing assets. And when you turn those into cash flow, that gets you closer to economic independence. But here's the game changer. The fourth thing to do is scale your business revenue. As a dentist, if you know about dentistry, then why not invest in things that you know and understand? And if you know nothing about outside technology, why would you invest there? If you've never been in the boardrooms of other companies you're investing in, why not scale your business revenue? That could be adding better people because A-teamers, IBM says, gives a 5,200% bigger output than a B-teamer. It might be the right processes that take you out of the equation and things so people know what to do and when. It might be technological procedures that allow you to have you know, technology and tools that create automation that don't even require as much human labor and maintenance that allow you to perform in a bigger way. So scaling is what are the things that you do that are most profitable? Maybe an associate could do the drilling and the filling and all that kind of stuff, or you're doing implants, you're doing cosmetic stuff, or maybe even you become a thought leader in the industry of health and how dentistry is a, a part of that, and you write a book or you go on media. I mean, there's so many ways to scale business. I, I'm not going to go into all those ways, but there's so much opportunity there. And then the fifth thing is you treat yourself as your greatest asset. You take more time off so that the team can build up and work on things and make life count along the way so that you retire from things that you hate by delegation rather than doing things just to save money because I know a lot of dentists that are penny wise and pound foolish that way. So these five levers is what I call them. Create economic independence, boost profits, strategically engineer wealth, accelerate investment income, take those lazy assets and make them produce cash flow, scale business revenue because 91% of people worth $5 million or more did it because they owned a business, not because they invested in other people's business that they knew nothing about. And then fifth, make it count. Don't wear yourself out. Don't wear yourself down. Take care of yourself. Enjoy life along the way so that you could redefine retirement and stay in control. Because if you retire into business, then maybe if interest rates are low, that's okay. You still have a business that can produce cash flow when everybody else is sitting there stuck living a more of a pauper type lifestyle in retirement because interest rates didn't cooperate. Or if taxes are high, you still got this great tax advantage called a business. Or if inflation starts to creep in, you raise your prices. When people are sitting just in the stock market or the bond market, hoping that it's going to work out, it is a dangerous place that they become totally enslaved to interest rate, tax, and inflation fluctuations. And I hate seeing that. So for this friend that you talked about, Really, I feel like keep more of what you make because those dollars could be reinvested into your practice and invest in yourself and only put your money in places that you really truly know and understand and stop speculating with those dollars because it's just a waste of money. I love that. I mean, I, I'm writing as fast as I can, Garrett. Um, it's a good thing you don't talk faster <laughs> because I probably would have ripped through the paper. Um, uh, and keep in mind, this is this is the second time. I want everybody to... to stop for a moment and after you listen to this uh, audio once I want you to rewind and listen to it maybe two or three more times because this is the second time 
I've heard Garrett go through some of these things and, and I'm picking up things that I missed the first time because it's impossible uh, to get all of, all of what Garrett is discussing just so far in, in, into our audio. It's impossible to, to get it all and to understand it and to really get a hold of what it could, what, what sort of impact this can have on your financial well-being. Garrett, you mentioned, um, you mentioned credit score. I know this is something that people seem to measure their um, sav- credit credit savviness or their or or how savvy they are with their with their finances with their personal finances. Um, take us through um, credit scores, what they mean, and how they can impact uh, loans, how they can impact insurance because they impact your insurance. Um, yep. A little bit of that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, a a good credit score can lower your car and homeowners insurance rates. They look at it as a potential lower risk. A good credit score, meaning 780 or above, might mean that you can go renegotiate every interest rate that you have. We had a dentist out of Tahoe do a streamlined refinance, meaning stayed with the same company, only had to do a $200 appraisal, not a full appraisal, just that they just drove by, and he had to sign, I think, three documents at closing. Same home, same lender, $751 less per month towards the home, simply because he had the right credit score. Right Before, when he was at 719 or something, we just had to do some credit dressing, which is ways to improve your credit score when you know how the – you can pass the test if you know how the test works. But if you're, right. if you're supposed to take a Scantron and you treat it like a fill-in-the-blank, you, you get a zero on it, right? And, and credit score <laughs> testing doesn't always make sense. So it's about learning those rules. Um, so, yeah, credit – getting above 780 is critical because you could do a streamlined refinance. We've had people renegotiate their – Credit cards, I mean, that's one of the easy ones. You, you don't talk to the first person that answers the phone. You talk to the get to the retention department, the promotions department, talk to them about things like balance transfer or what their deals are, and then you know there's a script to, to get better credit card interest rates. You know, And if you want to boost your credit score, if you have a paid-off car, yet you have credit cards, you could refinance your car. That's an installment loan. Installment loans actually boost your credit if you pay them on time. Credit cards, once you go above 30%, Loan to value. So if you have a $10,000 credit card, as soon as you get above $3,000, that could start lowering your credit score, even if you pay it off in full at the end of the month, because it's just a matter of when they look and check in to see what's going on. So yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a, there's a few different pieces to save on on car and homeowners insurance once it's boosted, on any loan that you get. I mean, the craziest story is once I had my buddy Kevin. Uh, you know, we were in a, in a mastermind together. He joined our program and I was teaching him the script. He calls up and his second mortgage said, great, we'll take 10 cents on the dollar. And he calls me. He's like, yeah, they'll take 10 cents on the dollar. I'm like, no, nah, that's a short sell, dude. You don't want to do a short sell. It's going to hurt your credit score. And he's like, no, I, I didn't. That, that name never came up. So I got on the phone <laughs> literally with the script. They just, they were upside down. They said, if you give us 10 cents on the dollar, we'll just be done with this loan. We'll consider it paid in full. It's not even going to be something that hit his credit because they knew they were in trouble. So, I mean, that, that's kind of a, a, an anomaly, but those kind of things happen when you have the right credit score and you go to negotiate. I have this, um, I have this theory. Well, it's not even a theory. It's more of a mantra. If you don't ask, you don't get, you know, so you got to be willing yep. to ask that. And, you know, we're, uh, we're a product of the questions we ask. That's uh, uh, one of those. Um, if it isn't a uh, Chinese proverb, maybe it ought to be. Um, so, um, I like talk that. about, 
Um, thank you. Let's talk about the biggest wealth killers that you've seen dentists uh, collide with. Um, maybe the top four biggest wealth killers that you've run across. And you know, if you have a moment to to talk about how to avoid them, um, some some are avoidable, like you know, maybe divorce is not get married in the first place. But um, uh, I, I think divorce things, is a pretty big one for dentists for some reason. I don't know what it is about your dentist. There's, there's a lot of divorce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a dentist that I love working with. He's on his fifth marriage. You know, I've told him that all the advice I give is minor compared to what he's given away in divorce. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll cover four different ones in that for sure. Well, that's a, it's like my friend said. He goes, you know, divorce, you're better off finding a, a woman that you don't love uh, or like and just buy her a house. <laughs> it's cheaper. <laughs> so All right, go ahead. The, the, the first thing is um, Parkinson's Law. Parkinson's Law works with your team if you say, hey – can you get this done for me Friday by 5? And they start working on it Friday at 4.44. Uh, that's, you know, if it's not captured as a specific time and, and space in their calendar, it just gets procrastinated. It mm-hmm. applies more directly to finance in that when income goes up, if there's no infrastructure, expenses will rise to meet or exceed that increase. So Parkinson's Law confiscates people's wealth all the time. It almost goes back to when I said spending optimism. But it's more subtle than that. It just simply, you know, and, and, and part of it's a luxury once enjoyed becomes a necessity. Another part of it is, you know, I think that businesses have an insatiable appetite. And if there's no plan for the money, it's just laying around. We find really good excuses of how to deploy that, whether we truly need to do that. And, and let's face it, dentists are kind of addicted to gadgets. Yeah. You know, it's like there's yeah. so much technology in dentistry that becomes fascinating. But a lot of times can't necessarily be implemented if you do it all at once. So um, that's the first thing is Parkinson's law. So the solution to that, by the way, is set up a separate account in your, you know, it could be a checking, savings, money market, just can't be like anything that locks your money away. And every time you take money from the business and pay yourself, you take a percentage off the top, put it in this extra, in this other account that automates your savings, eliminates the need to budget, and then once that money builds up, then you can deliberately invest when the right opportunity comes. You can pounce on it. But if not, you've got staying power. You've got a peace of mind fund. You don't get overly stressed because you know that money's there. If you have a health issue, you're okay. If you need to take care of family members, you're okay. If you have a turnover in the office, just so much more powerful. And, and too many dentists redline where they're just one incident away from a major financial issue, right? So, so that's the first big mistake. Okay. The second big mistake is they spend more time trying to fund their retirement plan than they try to save taxes. So let me break this down. Let's say right now we have the numbers. For every half a million of revenue, a dentist, on average, if we throw out the top 20%, overpays $11,430 for every half a million dollars per year in revenue, and that's bottom line cash. doesn't have to go towards employees, doesn't have to go towards overhead, doesn't have to go towards operatories. That's just bottom line cash. And so imagine a, a business doing a couple million bucks or, you know, we're talking about 40 That's some thousand dollars. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. Imagine trying to now take that time and putting it into retirement plans. How much money do you have to get into a retirement plan to create $40,000 tax-free, actually $44,000, $45,000 tax-free every year. That's going to take a long period of time, ups and downs, risk, fees, 
And so a huge mistake is to not proactively meet with your tax team. And if you're a multi-million dollar practice, not having a tax attorney is a huge mistake because every three years you can go back and amend your returns if you miss deductions. And if you're tipping the government, that's bottom line dollars that would be the equivalent of having millions of dollars in a retirement plan from a cash flow impact. And cash flow is what we're really trying to impact. So that's the second major mistake that I see. That's, I can that's, jump that's, right to the third one. But I, I pause for a comment. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, when you look at what it takes to dentists to generate um, ten thousand dollars in free cash flow, so ten grand. In other words, it's already been taxed. In other words, to have ten grand cash in your pocket that you can, you know, that you can save, you can spend, or whatever. That's going to be, let's just call it 50% tax bracket because by the time, you know, it's, it's all said and done, you're keeping maybe half of your net. So right. you're going to have to net, you know, 20 grand um, and, and, to produce, and, and to net 20 grand out of your business, you got to be doing 100 grand. Um, so yep. every 100 grand in revenue is going to generate about 10 grand in free cash flow for you. So to find 44 grand, that's the equivalent of doing a, a 400 plus thousand dollars in dentistry. And that's like 40, you know, in some cases, uh, let's call it 40 crowns, <laughs> I mean, or, or 400 right. crowns, rather. That's a lot of dentistry. I mean, that is, for some, a half a year. For others, three quarters of a year. Um, you know, for some, two, three months. But that's a significant amount of work to to, to be, you know, just sloughing off, uh, you know, $40,000 on it, you know, or, or 11 grand on every half a million in revenue. That's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. All right, so the next one, the next issue and this is, you know, once again, we're, we're just going to go after some sacred cows, is they diversify. Diversification for most people becomes diversification. They're in a worse position. It's like diversification is admission of ignorance. Like, I don't know what to do. I'll just spread it thin. And the problem is you get spread thin, you get distracted. So I know, you know, dentists that get involved in real estate and they know nothing about it. And then it eats their lunch. I know dentists that, you know, start investing in these speculative startups and they know nothing about it and it starts distracting them from their dentistry. So I think that really the wealthiest people like Andrew Carnegie said, put all your eggs in one basket and watch it like a hawk. I like that. Warren Buffett said 20 investments over a lifetime. Now he, he had so much money he had to do more than 20, but you know, the picture is you focus and protect. And if you have liquidity, you have your foundation handled, that's permission to stay focused but this whole diversification notion that's been adopted has really come out of ignorance and, and it basically is the biggest admission of how guilty the financial profession is at letting people down and giving them failure-based thinking. The wealthiest icons in the world didn't get there through diversification. They got there because they had something major and they put all their eggs in that basket and they insured that basket well and they watched it. And, they, and, and so part of this is, a mistake is part of the diversification is people speculate because they try to hit a home run. But if you don't have your foundation handled, you're not economically independent, that speculation can end up costing you. Uh, you know, Tim Ferriss is someone that I've spent quite a bit of time with. We went to Vietnam together on a vacation. He stayed at my house a couple of times. We've, we've been at several events where we spoke at the events. And I love his philosophy that he moved to Silicon Valley because he wanted to invest in, you know, uh, Twitter and Uber and some of these other companies like that, but he already had been financially and economically independent from selling a business and having success, and he's relatively frugal for how much money he makes. So everybody else sees, oh, he invested as an early, early adopter here, and then he made big, but you don't go speculate with money you can't afford to lose. And if you're going to speculate, why not just speculate in your business? 
where you can learn lessons, course correct, and do something about it, rather than things that if it loses, you just lose steam and energy. So that would be the third mistake, and I'll pause if you, if you have any uh, additional insight on that. Well, I think your your comment about, um, and this goes back to really when, when we first started on this conversation, it was invest in what you know, invest in what you understand. For a dentist, to me, there is no better place that they should be investing, and the opportunity is so damn great in dentistry. It doesn't matter if you want to open a multi, you know, a second or third or fourth location. It doesn't matter if you want to expand your current, you know, your facility. Um, dropping 50 grand into your practice is going to give you 10 times the return that you're ever going to see, 20 times the return that you're ever going to see in, any, in anything you don't know, stock market included. So I, I've yep. always looked at it as if I'm going to invest in, in a company, why, wouldn't I, why would I invest in someone else's company before I would invest in my own? I should have the confidence to invest in my own, whatever the amount of money is, uh, before I'm confident in investing in Starbucks or Caterpillar or any other company that you know may have a great balance sheet, but you and I have no control over it. At the end of the day, our money right. is just count it gone. I mean, realistically, you know, you have no control. So um, I like the idea of, of staying, you know, um, focused. I learned that lesson the hard way. I got into real estate and development and it ate my lunch. Um, not real estate itself necessarily, but the process and the partnerships <laughs> from that, from that adventure. Um, so I have been uh, down that road and it's dangerous as opposed to staying in what you know and focusing on it. And like you said, watch it like a hawk. Totally. So the fourth one is they don't scale. And what I mean by they don't scale, there's a couple of mistakes within that. Number one, hiring cheaply. IBM said an A-teamer produces 5,200% more than a B-teamer or below. And by the way, when you don't hire A-teamers and you have some, if you hire a B or C-teamer, they drive A-teamers away. So it's yeah. a problem. That's when you're going to have turnover. The second piece is they do too many heroic things to save the business. So they're, the business is overly reliant upon them. There's a problem. They'll take care of it. Um, you know, and so sometimes they're, the low, they're doing the lowest paid wage job, and they're not getting paid extra for it because they love the business and want to take care of it, which actually undermines their employees and team. Like, I just have a, a rule. I never answer questions that someone on my team could answer. I just direct people to that person. I don't want to yep. become known for those. I want them to become known for that. And so the, the third piece of this is they don't properly delegate. So part of it is if you hire a B team or a below, it's hard to properly delegate. But some delegate a lot, but you want to delegate a role or an objective. You don't want to delegate a task. A task is like a boomerang. It's finished. The person comes back to you. A role is here's a major project. Here's something we're up to. Here's something that you own, that you're responsible for. I'll support you in but you're taking this, you're running with it, and this is what it's got to look like at the end. This is what means it's complete, it's satisfactory, and we've done it. Does that make sense? When they understand it, you say, great, come to me if you need some support. And all of a sudden, they do real delegation by delegating roles instead of tasks. And that is one of the huge things that allows that dentist to scale. So if you, if you realize scaling your business revenue you could earn a 20% and even some years a 50% increase in business. That is so impossible to do in other types of investments. And I get it. You're not going to be able to do that year in and year out. But it's easy to do before you've scaled, before you have the right people, the right processes, or the right procedures. There's a huge opportunity for scale, especially if you're doing things. And, and you know, here's an easy thing to do. Do what Bill Gates did. He just looked at the end of every day and he said, what did I do on this calendar that I could have given to someone else? And if we didn't have that person, is it time to hire? 
And, and, you know, I think any dentist could look at their calendar for the next month and they can say, am I calendaring in a way that allows me to become the person I want to be? Because our calendar dictates so much of our behavior. And if we're doing things that are, you know, we're incompetent at just to save money or competent at but drains our energy and we procrastinate it and it becomes something that infringes upon our mind or even if we're excellent at it, but it's still not the thing that we can bring at the most unique level to our business we're limiting our scale and hard work and will only take you to a certain level eventually the rules change for scale and you have to be better at hiring and you have to spend your time doing a little bit different things in order to create a lot more freedom and a boatload more cash yeah um all all incredible advice the one the thing that you just said about bill gates that one stuck with me um when i heard you say it the first time in florida a few weeks ago um, you know, that's how we need to be looking at our, our days, you know, is reflecting back and go, okay, what exactly what you said, what did I do today that I shouldn't have done that somebody else could have done and done better than me? And why, and why would I ever do it again? Especially if we don't like it. So it's, it's taking yourself out of the roles that you don't like or are not great at and relegating that to what you are good at, um, and, and focusing on those roles. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of opportunity for that in every dental practice that I've ever seen where you are hiring um, people that are not in the wage range <laughs> that you're used to uh, and, mm-hmm. and how those people can advance your, your mission um, so very much quicker than you can ever on your own with, with B team players. Um, it's, it's absolutely game changing. Um, yeah, we had, we had one uh, orthodontist doing $8 million in his practice. And the number one strategy that we did for him to help him boost was we found three employees that were B teamers and three employees that were A-teamers, fired the B-teamers, and gave the A-teamers a 10% increase in compensation to take over the B-teamers' role. They were happier, they made more money, and they said they were just had less problems because they were fixing the B-teamers' problems anyway, and that added money to the bottom line immediately. Now, I'm going to work harder and create more revenue, but that was a big deal. Yeah, and and not only that is overhead actually dropped in the process, <laughs> which is an even better yep. deal. Oh, I love it. Um, I, I've got about. I'm gonna. I'd love to get through about three more questions um, before we wrap this up because we are getting close on time, and I want to be respectful of, of your time. Um, and we've got uh, you know eight minutes or so left, so we'll try to get through these quickly. Um, and I also want to give you an opportunity to uh, direct folks on how to reach out to your organization and get in touch. Um, first, though, what are two breakthroughs that you that got you personally out of? Uh, the the delivery of services and let me make a comparison here before you answer that so if you were a dentist and you realize that your growth or your capacity is limited to what you personally can do a day the the amount of dentistry you can do it in a day um, what would you advise a dentist to do to get out of their way of delivery of more services to grow their business in other words you know looking at it as if they were invisible like they had to pull themselves out of it what are two breakthroughs that you used that they may be able to use as well? If, if I'm being clear, I may not be. So. Yep, you are. No, I get it. So the first thing is I applied the impact equation. The impact equation says this. How do I reach more people or how do I create more deep value for the existing people that I'm already reaching? So we went to the people we were already impacting and we surveyed them. And based upon their survey... We said, what things could we provide that doesn't require my personal involvement? And we provided that and increased our prices <laughs> to add that additional <laughs> value. Uh-huh. So think about value over volume 
Volume is, let's just see more people. Value is, let's add more meaningful impact to the people we're already working with because acquiring a new patient is much more expensive than adding more value to an existing patient. So that was a game changer for me. Now, the second thing was elevating status. Elevating status was huge. What I mean by that is when I wrote Killing Sacred Cows, when I started to do radio shows, when I had my own radio show, when I started to do podcasts, interviews, um, you know, webinars, videos, like I stopped coaching one-on-one and started doing those things. So now no one expected me to be there one-on-one. Before, it'd be like when I, when I would just tell clients, oh, I'm going to do less meetings and I got this, t-. it's like that's a hard transition. So dentists getting associate, yeah, but my old patients love me, they want to be with me. It's like, well, there's a specific baton handoff process to that where you've got to do a little more work up front where you're monitoring them, you're in there talking about, ooh, that was good, yeah. You know, you like, you've got to transfer credibility. Mm-hmm. But part of people stop expecting you to do the services when you elevate your own positioning and credibility. Like, when I'm even at our three-day workshop, sometimes people are surprised. Now, we're, we've, we've been filming me, and we're going to start trying doing a little bit of it on video, but, you know, I'm always saying, what three things do I need to give up to get to the next level so I can do the three things that no one else could do, like put out new content in the form of books, video series, which today I'm filming, um, I think today is 12 videos towards our newest on-demand program. And, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly filming, and I can position other people because I'm recruiting A-team talent that are actually better at the one-on-one. So I, I see this dilemma all the time with dentists. All day I want all the patients want to see me. No, only the patients that used to see you, your new patients won't know any difference. And the more you become an advocate for health in the community, like we had a, we had a, a doctor in Arkansas that started writing articles, started going on local news. No one expected to see him anymore. They just, you know, it's like Dr. Oz saying, oh, here's this person that has this supplement. People go buy it because that's where he pointed. Nobody expects him to do the heart surgery anymore. So... Think about how you can more deeply impact your existing people. And number two, how can you elevate your own status so people don't expect you to deal with the services side, which is, is there any level of automation, education, support, or things that can work even while you're not there? That's a, that is a brilliant answer. I absolutely love that. And, and hopefully our, the docs listening to this who are thinking of scaling or are in the process of scaling can, can leverage these two important points, the impact, doing the impact equation, and elevating status, and that's something that we coach our docs on um, relentlessly, which is uh, you really do need to become a content provider, uh, an educator, a thought leader if you want to be, if you want to ultimately differentiate yourself in your community. So I think those those fall right into that, and those are great. Um, the last two questions: um, What are you reading right now that is blowing your mind, bookwise? Well, I just finished. I wouldn't say. Well, I don't know this blew my mind. I just barely finished Speed of Trust. It's an older book by Stephen M. R. Covey, not Stephen R. Yep. Covey who did Seven Habits, but um, mm-hmm. you know Stephen M. R. But I just finished a book, I think right before we met, called Toes Turn Purple. It's not even out yet. And Toes Turn Purple is uh, a guy that's on, he's an inner circle guy for me. He's on my board of trustees. He's on the he's on the, my board for Wealth Factory that wrote it, he wrote, he wrote Zigzag Principle and Bootstrap Business before, but this was written with his youngest son. He's now raised five kids that were all entrepreneurial when they were teenagers. He made them pay for their own vacations, their, uh, a bunch of their own stuff, but he said, I'll be a business mentor to you. 
and one of them had an online business that did 590,000 of revenue while he was a teenager in school. So he, his, I mean, just his methodology, it means so much to me for generational wealth and legacy. I read it, I sat down and read it in one day, and I'm going to actually reread it because I created something called an accelerated, accelerated learning group, which one of the guys in it calls it the Oprah Book Club. Um, but I, I just decided I wasn't reading enough once my kids were hitting a certain age, right? They were, I was with yeah. them, I was doing all this stuff. So I formed a, a peer group that I would, would never want to disappoint and not read the books. So we read a book every month and then we discuss it. And just last night is when we discussed Speed of Trust. It's a little academic, a little redundant. Mm -hmm. But the biggest lesson from that was the way that you build trust is through being competent. And I built my organization on results and implementation, not just on what we say, but more about what we do. And so you can, you can be high integrity, very ethical, but if you don't get results, then people just call you a nice guy. <laughs> but yeah. when you get results, there's a whole other level of trust that comes from that. Yeah, oh, that's, that's great. Um, if you haven't read it, uh, Richard Wiseman's book, 59 Seconds, it's a great, it's, it's a phenomenal book if you haven't Ooh, read that one. Nice, Definitely I haven't. That sounds great. Yeah. 59 You're seconds. I like the title. I don't even know what it is, but I, I like it. <laughs> it's, it's not time management. It, it will blow your mind, though. Um, it's, a, it's a great book. Um, uh, last question. Most impactful mindset shift that you've had uh, in, in operating your business? In other words, what, what really changed it all for you? What mindset shift? Um, the first time I wrote, uh, you know, I basically had a one-page contract to hire a COO. And when I paid their first month's salary of $20,000, I went from hiring people that, you know, good people, some friends and family early on, to actually hiring someone with real pedigree, real experience, that just made an immediate massive impact and difference because they pulled so much off my plate, created financials that were so solid that we could look at every single week and cleaned up the culture within a year, you know, so I paid 240 grand that first year. I mean, measurable difference of, I don't know, just actual savings on the financial side, improving margins and everything. I think that we doubled what I paid him just in what we saved on, on margins. And then when we talk about just what I was now able to focus on, that was a huge mindset shift because, you know, I was, I was in my, uh, I was basically just turned 30 at the time, you know, and it was saying, when I went on my New York Times best-selling tour with Killing Sacred Cows, I realized that my business was a, more of an infant than I realized. I thought it was more mature than it was, but it was so reliant upon me to hire someone that I could truly like count on 100% of the time that had more knowledge in areas than I did and was the complete opposite of me from being methodical, almost looked like he was from the military, always perfectly dressed. You've seen me. I'm a little more renegade. I'm a little more creation and chaos and innovation. It was like a perfect compliment, and I started. I, I did that because I studied some of these major organizations. You'd have the visionary, but then they always had an operator behind them. I mean, whether it was rapper Jay Z, whether it was Bill Gates, whether it was I mean, Steve Jobs. I mean, the list just went on, and that was a huge mindset shift. To I mean, that was like a gut check. Okay, I'm writing a, a pretty big check here, and we did really yeah. well with it. I love that. I mean, that's that is great brain expanding thinking right there. That's good stuff. Um, well, we're 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 wrapped up in our in our time, and I want to be respectful of your schedule and your next appointments. Um, how would you recommend my uh, my subscribers to Dentistry Confidential reach out to you and learn more about the Wealth Factory and what it can do for their practice and, and for them personally on the financial side? 
Well, I think wealthfactory.com forward slash WF resources is in Wealth Factory resources, a little hidden page where we have some of my best Forbes articles where I'm a paid contributor or has like some of our great tools on how to become a better investor, what cash flow investing is about, what cash investing toolkits and our investment scorecard to figure out whether you're taking too much risk or not. Great resources on that page. Um, but I'd be happy to put my uh, a copy of Killing Sacred Cows in everyone's hands as well. Um, you just text. So you pull out your phone. You text the number 801-396-7211. And you put KSC as in Killing Sacred Cows. 801-396-7211. You'll get an immediate download. And if you want it on audiobook, I just recently recorded the audiobook, even though I wrote the book a while ago. And I just have to pay cost to my publisher, Gildan. So you just have to pay, I think, 7 bucks to get the audiobook on Audible. I think it's you know 21 bucks or something like that. So you can even get the audiobook if you prefer to listen. And, uh, yeah, I just like to contribute and, and you know uh, pick up the tab on that for everybody so that they can get a little bit more information and avoid some of the destructive financial myths. The nine kind of most misleading, subtle lies that are out there in finance – you read that book, you'll have the right language, the right vernacular, and you'll know it's really kind of permission to succeed for the business owner. And it, it's really written for the business owner. And it's been a, I think it's been a pretty big hit in dentistry, especially, it seems. Uh, we were out of books for a while. And just this, this one that they'll be downloading is the brand new version that we just completed recently, um, depending, I guess, when they listen to this, but uh, at the time of this being recorded. Uh, so I think it's got some killer solutions like some great tax advice pages inside of it that didn't exist the first time around, a major guide on, uh, I just kept seeing this, I keep saying, oh, the solution is this, the solution is this. So I put together a guide that is helping people discover the solution for themselves because the book's a little philosophical at times and I wanted people to put the pieces together. Yeah, awesome. That's very kind of you. I appreciate you offering that up to our subscribers. So make sure you head over to wealthfactory.com. Uh, forward slash WF resources or shoot a text to 801-396-7211 with the word with the letters KSC to get a copy of Garrett's book Killing Sacred Cows the most uh, recent version Garrett it's been a um, it's been a very fast hour um, man you covered a lot of ground and I appreciate it you, we got through um, all but one thing um, and it's we can you know hopefully we can come back at a later point in time and cover it um, it has to do with family banking um, but uh, I sacrificed that particular one for the rest of the content and uh, man i appreciate your time today just an awesome awesome yeah we'll, we'll come back around and do that and i'll give my book on that the next time so we'll keep we'll keep putting stuff in people's hands and i really appreciate you uh, you asked you asked me a question i've never been asked on the name of the company that was really cool i love starting out that way so we hit it hit the right foot right from the beginning and you know i think we think a lot alike so i really appreciate that as well Wonderful, Garrett. Thank you for your time, sir, and um, and be sure to check out uh, Garrett's uh, website, wealthfactory.com. Thanks again, Garrett. Appreciate it, and have a fantastic rest of the day. And uh, remember, listen to this one or two or three more times because I guarantee you missed a lot the first time through. Thanks, Garrett. Have a great one. Take care. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jerry Jones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.